Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I am your host, Jordan Jones. It was a slow week this past week in Purdue sports. Football seems to be continuing their voluntary workouts after returning from the quarantine, but there's been very little to report from those workouts. We presume there are still no positive coronavirus cases, considering we have heard nothing from Purdue since an initial report from Mike Bobinski that indicated that no players had tested positive. Men's basketball returned to campus this week for their voluntary workouts to start up. Uh, Besides a few social media posts from Chris Foreman, we've seen very little from Purdue basketball to indicate that they are in a position uh, where there's any news to report from there. Again, that makes sense. Um, These voluntary workouts aren't going to be big-time news-generating topics. Uh, You've got small groups just working out. Um, Really not much to talk about there. I brought up last week on the show that I'd like to get some more basketball discussion going because, you know, by this time next month, we'll be really hitting the ground running on college football preview episodes, talking Purdue, the Big Ten, and all across the landscape of college football. Uh, And with no new news in football this week, I figured now would be a good time to uh, take a look at some basketball analysis. And today we're going to break down the current basketball coaches of the Big Ten Conference. Uh, But first, before we get to that, I will bring up a little bit of the latest news relating to Nogel Eastern, the now former Boilermaker. Uh, This past week on Twitter, uh, on Wednesday afternoon, Eastern released a statement essentially stating that he was not admitted to the University of Michigan and that he is still looking for a new landing spot to play his final season of collegiate eligibility. Um, He indicated in this tweet that, quote, many of his credits weren't transferable because of his major, uh, and that that is the only reason he was not accepted. Um, Obviously, this is an just interesting extra twist to what has been a really really odd situation, all things considered, for Eastern's last season of college eligibility. Um, As we brought up on our first episode about six weeks ago now, um, you know, it was never something that anyone thought that Eastern was really going to end up at Michigan. It was pretty well documented that there were a lot of reasons to be skeptical about that. And this finally confirmed that from the source himself. Um, It just never seemed like Jawan Howard really expected Eastern to end up in a Wolverine uniform. And now that's official. Um, In terms of his rationale and his reasoning on Twitter, I don't really know what to think of it. I have a tough time saying that I don't believe it because I guess anything's possible. At the same time, you know, how often do you hear about someone not academically qualifying to transfer? Uh, I just don't, I don't get that. And I know it's an odd situation because it is a one year of eligibility transfer that's not a graduate transfer. Eastern would have had to sit out the upcoming season here in 2021. But at the same time, you know, by not being accepted due to credits not transferring from his major, 
I don't know that I get that. I, I would be really surprised if Michigan didn't have a major fairly similar to whatever Eastern was studying at Purdue. And I could be wrong. I don't know exactly what his major was at Purdue. I just have a hard time believing that these credits wouldn't transfer. And, you know, especially for a kid who has taken by this time now three full years at Purdue, including three summer sessions uh, by being on campus for three summers, I just have a hard time believing that, you know, he's not close enough to a degree to have these credits transfer and be done with a bachelor's degree after a year at Michigan. I just don't know that I see that. At the same time, I guess I do get it from the Michigan basketball perspective due to the the API, the Academic Progress Index, which the NCAA uses to evaluate the effectiveness of a school's uh, academic progress of their student-athletes. You know, Michigan obviously doesn't want to get on the bad side of the NCAA. So, you know, if Eastern would have had to transfer to Michigan and, you know, really almost restart from an academic standpoint, which, again, I just don't know that I believe, um, it, it makes sense because he would be very far removed from a degree with not a lot of time to get to that degree while being an active player at Michigan. I I just don't understand all of this. I, I have always maintained through this, it's a sad situation. Um, you know, I think it's really, really easy to overlook sometimes how good of situations players are in. And I think this is a great example of that where Nogel Eastern was in a really good situation at Purdue. You know, played in the Sweet 16, played in the Elite Eight, won a Big Ten championship, uh, really started most games for the past two years at Purdue. And now it's, you know, it's just seeming like this story is going to have a really poor ending. And that's not what this kid deserves. Um, you know, he's played well enough for Purdue over time. He's a great defender and can be a valuable piece for a lot of basketball teams. Unfortunately, we're going to have a pretty sad ending to this story. All signs are pointing. Um, you know, you look at it now. Where does Nogel Eastern go from here? It's late June as we're recording today. You know, it's June 23rd. Uh, this isn't the prime period for basketball transfers to be taking place. That window's come and gone. And I know, you know, the coronavirus is really caused the transfer market to explode, but this still is an odd time, especially for a player who is going to take up a scholarship for two years, we all presume at this point, because Eastern is not a graduate transfer, and you know it doesn't really seem like there was a legitimate reason to leave Purdue. Now, who knows? Players have been very creative of coming up with ways to get immediate el eligibility, after transferring both in basketball and football. But, you know, he's really going to have his work cut out for him to carve that pathway to be able to play this year. This is not a Matt Harm situation where, you know, he has a degree in hand and he's going to play his last year somewhere else. This is a lot different than that. In terms of his possible destinations, I, I thought from the start that the Chicago schools made a lot of sense. Eastern's a Chicago kid going to Evanston Township High School. 
those schools would make a lot of sense to me. The DePaul's, the Loyola, UIC, maybe even Northern Illinois going out west of Chicago. Um, those are the schools that I see making a lot of sense, um, you know, with a possible pathway to immediate eligibility. Going home is always a good, a di- good you know, thing to tack on to your waiver application to the NCAA to be able to play right away. But I just, if it's not one of those schools, I, I have a hard time believing that a Power 5 program, or I guess Power 6 for basketball when you put the Big East in there, it's just a tough idea to believe that they're going to want to take no gel Eastern on scholarship this year for him to sit out and then for him to play in the 21, 22 season, uh, as a fifth year senior. I just don't, I don't know that I see it. I think a school like a Loyola or a UIC would take that. Uh, but we'll see it. No name is still in the NBA draft. That is a possibility. I guess, uh, he's not going to get drafted. Should Eastern stay in the draft? Uh, I think the most likely end opportunity of that would be an overseas contract to play professionally in Europe or Asia or another continent. And hopefully uh, he gets back to America for a G League opportunity. But I don't think right now there's any possibility of a pro career in the NBA or G League at this point. And you just really have to look at this and think, you know, what a sad situation because it was a really good, good situation at Purdue that over the course of the last month and a half to two months has really gone downhill really quick. Now, that's all we're going to talk about with Eastern today. We're going to get into the Big Ten basketball coach rankings now, and I shouldn't call them rankings because... I don't think that's the most fair way to talk about these coaches. It's really hard for me to compare, you know, a ranking system of some of these programs because obviously a program like Michigan State or Indiana has so many more built-in opportunities than a Penn State or a Rutgers. Uh, So we're going to put these coaches into tiers and we have four tiers going to put all of the 14 coaches into one uh, of the four. And, you know, let me know what you think of some of these. It's hard. Not all of these are easy. Some are real obvious. But, you know, again, if you got some conversation about this, let's get it going on Twitter. Because um, I'd love to love to hear some input from some of you on what you think of these. So in the top tier, number one tier, I only have two names in there. And I think this is the easiest part of the rankings for sure. Uh, I have Tom Izzo and Matt Painter in the top tier alone by themselves. Um, And definitely Izzo belongs first listed in that top tier over Painter. Um, You can't say enough about the consistency of the program under Tom Izzo. They've made 22 straight NCAA tournament appearances, nine-time regular season Big Ten champion, Six Big Ten tournaments won. They've been to eight Final Fours, and they were the 2000 national champions. All of that in Izzo's uh, about 25 years or so at the helm in East Lansing. 
Um, he's done a fantastic job continuing the success of that program from Judd Heathcote. And, you know, they're a machine right now that still hasn't stopped rolling really since the 2000 team with Mateen Cleaves and, you know, the Flintstones. Uh, he's been very, very good there. Obviously, he's had his fair share of controversy with players and some uh, difficult off-the-court situations, but all in all, he's by far the top coach in the Big Ten, and I, I don't think there's any debate on that. And I think Matt Painter filing in at number two is incredibly fair, and I'd be hard-pressed to put someone above Matt Painter besides Izzo. Uh, Painter's won four Big Ten titles at Purdue. He's made five Sweet 16s, including an Elite Eight in 2019. And all of those statistics are pretty impressive on their own. And I think it's even more impressive when you look at the awful luck Painter has had. Obviously, most of you listening to this show are Purdue fans, I assume. Um, I don't need to remind you about all of it. Obviously, Robbie Hummel's injury, Isaac Haas's injury, uh, the Virginia game itself. These were all some really, really bad breaks that Purdue had during Matt Painter's time that have prevented them from, you know, taking that proverbial next step and getting to a Final Four. Um, that is obviously the expectation Purdue fans are beginning to have. They felt how close they were in 2019. You know, they felt robbed of it in 2010 when Robbie Hummel got hurt. Same thing in 11. And you could even make the argument in 2018 when Isaac Haas got hurt. So, you know, Painter's done all of that in spite of some really bad luck. Obviously, a few down years there, 2013, 2014, were not good years for Purdue at all. But, um, you know, Matt Painter, by far, in my opinion, is the second best coach in this conference. And, you know, Izzo and Painter stand out enough to me that they're in a tier of their own up top. Tier two is where some debate really starts to begin. Um, you know, besides Izzo and Painter, we don't have a ton of coaches in the Big Ten now that are uh, a combination of successful and experienced. And that's why Izzo and Painter really stand out at the top. Tier two, there are some really good coaches in this list. There are also some really good coaches in this list who have not proven enough yet to elevate themselves into that tier one. We'll start tier two off up at, up in Madison, Wisconsin with Greg Gard. Uh, he's done really well at Wisconsin. Over 100 wins in his first five seasons. He wrapped up the 2019-20 season with a Big Ten regular season title and a really fantastic coaching job from Gard after losing his leading scorer, Kobe King, halfway through the season to really rally that team behind, you know, guys like Brad Davison, Demetric Trice, Nate Reavers. Uh, that was a really good team this year. And a lot of credit to guard for how well he's been able to take over for Bo Ryan. It's always one of the toughest things to do in sports, and that is taking over for a legendary coach at a school where he became a complete legend. And for Greg Gard, he's done that really, really well for Bo Ryan, especially when you look at how Bo Ryan departed, you know, leaving at the start of a season just abruptly. 
And Guard continues to play that Wisconsin way that Bo Ryan really started to begin uh, during his tenure there. And the future at Wisconsin looks incredibly bright, especially with about everything coming back from this past season with their Big Ten championship team. That moves us over to the Buckeyes of Ohio State and Chris Holtman. Uh, another guy here who is a great coach and more so than Greg Gard still has a lot to prove. Uh, Holtman was really successful both at Gardner Webb and Butler, and he had a really, really strong debut year at Ohio State in 2017 18 when they were led by Big Ten Player of the Year, Kata Bates Diop. Uh, they were co Big Ten regular season champions that year, I believe. And unfortunately for them, were bounced early in the Big Ten tournament by Penn State and then early in the NCAA tournament as well. But with 66 wins through three years, uh, Holtman's had a really successful tenure at Ohio State thus far. Uh, Unfortunately, he did lose five-star recruit DJ Carton, transferred away to Marquette. But, you know, some really strong players there. Caleb Wesson was a good player for him. Uh, some other good players, Luther Muhammad, Andre Wesson. So he's got a good core there, continues to build it. Uh, I think Holtman's a great coach. I really do. Um, I think the future at Ohio State is really bright. That's a really, really good job. Uh, Gene Cady once said, you know, the job at Ohio State's a top five job in college basketball. And uh, I think there's a lot to really like about that situation there. And Holtman took it over at a good time with Thad Matter retiring. And there's a lot to like there. Holtman's going to keep doing a good job. I think, you know, that's a spot where Big Ten championships are going to be the expectation. And Holtman's going to have some pressure to deliver there because they'll go elsewhere to find it if he's not winning. That's not a fan base that's all too patient. But I think he'll do a good job there. Brad Underwood is another name I have in that tier two. Uh, obviously, he's an, he's an interesting coach because he left Oklahoma State after one year at, as the head coach in Stillwater to take the job at Illinois. And really, he's done a nice job rebuilding that program. Uh, John Grochi left that program in a disaster. Uh, recruiting had gone downhill pretty, pretty quick. Uh, They hadn't been competitive. They hadn't been making the NCAA tournament, hadn't been making it far in the Big Ten tournament. But, you know, you really saw it this year in 1920, led by uh, guard Io DeSunmu and big man Kofi Coburn. Uh, Illinois was a threat. And, you know, anyone who's a Purdue fan, they saw Illinois really out-physical Purdue twice this year. Uh, especially in that game where Purdue scored all of 37 points in Champaign. But, you know, Underwood has continued to recruit well. They've got another good recruiting class coming in. And, you know, this is the NBA draft deadline being pushed back to April or August 3rd. Uh, Illinois is one of the programs that stands to be impacted the most of any in America by this. Coburn and Dasunmu, um, If they return, you know, Illinois is looking to be a top 10, top 15 team in the country next year. If they don't, you know, you're looking at Illinois as probably a team that's going to fight to get in the NCAA tournament. 
they have a ton to gain and lose based off those decisions. And, you know, Underwood's really got to be holding his breath right now, but he's got a good solid foundation. Uh, They would have been a threat in March this past year if it weren't for the NCAA tournament getting canceled. And I really think the future is bright down in Champaign as well. Now, this next coach I'm going to list is a tough one to pinpoint because he hasn't been there all that long and success is relative, but I'm going with Steve Peichel. Um, incredible job of rebuilding that program. Eddie Jordan left that program in a disaster. Uh, they were horrible. I remember vividly Purdue going in there and beating him by 60. Uh, Purdue out-rebounded them by 40 in a game where Jaquiel Taylor had a double-double coming off the bench and not playing a lot of minutes. That was a program under Eddie Jordan that just there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Peichel's gotten in there, he's recruited well, and those players have bought into his culture. Those Rutgers players play really hard, they don't give up. Geo Baker is a really good lead guard for them. And everyone else kind of files in. They didn't. They didn't have a lot of weak links this past year. Eleven and nine in the Big Ten at Rutgers is very, very good. That cannot be said enough. That is not an easy place to win. That is a program that has very little success. I think if you ask a lot of people, the most well-known part of the Rutgers basketball tradition is Jim Valvano's Espy speech with the Your Family, Your Religion, and Rutgers basketball. That's probably the most well-known part of Rutgers basketball in the past 30 years. Steve Peichel has changed that. He's put the Scarlet Knights on the map. They would have made the NCAA tournament this year. I would not have wanted to play them in a first-round game that likely would have been an 8-9 or 7-10 game. Uh, They were not a fun team to play. I think Purdue fans know that a little bit too well after a really hard-fought game in Mackey that ended up being the last game of Purdue's season where Rutgers came in and won in one of the hardest environments, if not the hardest environment, to win in in all of college basketball. I'm really excited to see what Peichel can do at Rutgers because you know Rutgers has never been welcomed to the Big Ten by fans and He's really putting them on the map and making making that basketball program a little bit of a threat for those Big Ten schools that so often in their first five years in the conference really like to just poke fun at Rutgers and talk about how easy of a win it was. But, you know, that's not the case anymore. And finally, in Tier 2, we wrap up with the other program that was added to the Big Ten back in 2014, and that's Maryland, led by Mark Turgeon. Turgeon's a guy who I think is really hard to pinpoint. Um, He was really good at A&M. When he was at Texas A&M for four years, he made four NCAA tournaments. That was back when they were in the Big 12. It wasn't necessarily an easy job. You're competing against Kansas, who had Rick Barnes at the time. Uh, excuse me, Kansas with Bill Self, Texas with Rick Barnes. Um, you know, Frank Martin at Kansas State was a good coach. Lon Kruger, Oklahoma. You know, that's a lot of competition with some really good coaches. And he did really well to get to four straight NCAA tournaments there. 
Then he comes to Maryland, and uh, while they were in the ACC, they were solid, nothing great. Came to the Big Ten, and they've been the same way. That's a program with a lot of potential. Obviously, Gary Williams was a phenomenal coach there uh, back up until the late 2000s. And, you know, Turgeon's big issue at this point is that he's had a lot of talent and hasn't done a ton with it, relatively speaking. Now, he's won a lot of games. The guy's won 204 games, 204 games in nine years at Maryland. That's very, very good. That's not easy to do, especially playing in the ACC and the Big Ten. But with names like Mellow Trimble and Diamond Stone on a team together, or Anthony Cowan, Bruno Fernando, Jalen Smith, all you know, playing together for one year and then, you know, with the two big men each having a year on their own with Cowan, they haven't done much in March to really uh, justify a higher ranking of Turgeon here. Again, I, I don't like using March as the only barometer of success for coaches because it can be so unpredictable. But I think we're at the point now where with Turgeon, you really need to see something a little bit more promising here to look at elevating him to a higher level and putting him in a higher category of the Big Ten coaches. I think he has the maybe the easiest path to getting to that top tier to join Painter and Izzo, but he needs to keep recruiting and he needs to get something done in March. Uh, with Jalen Smith gone, Anthony Cowan gone, there's a lot to replace next year in Maryland. But, you know, uh, getting back to March and getting a run to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight could really change the perception of Mark Turgeon for me. Now we keep going here. We're out of Tier 2. We're entering Tier 3. These are the guys who haven't proven a whole lot and I think I wouldn't put them on the hot seat, not at least the first two. And some of these guys, it's just way too early to tell on them. Uh, we've got two that I would say are just in an odd spot, two that are way early to tell, and one that's just a solid coach in a tough spot. Uh, we're going to kick it off with Fran McCaffrey up in Iowa City. Uh, the Hawkeyes turned to McCaffrey. Uh, after he had five really, really strong years at Siena. Uh, while he was at Siena, they made three straight NCAA tournaments, including uh, one year when they got to the se- second round. I believe they did that twice, actually. But, you know, Purdue fans will remember one year the Baby Boilers played Siena in the first round, uh, and McCaffrey was really good there. Since he's come to Iowa, success has been a little bit relative. Um You know, they've made four NCAA tournament appearances over 10 years. That should come with an asterisk. They would have made a fifth this year if the tournament had not been canceled due to the pandemic. But um, I feel like there could be so many more successful seasons for Iowa if McCaffrey's teams played any defense. Uh, I think when you saw... Iowa, with their best team in some time, come to West Lafayette this year and give up 104 points to a Purdue team that uh, was offensively challenged, to say the least. That says quite a bit about Fran McCaffrey. 
Um, he hasn't played defense in any of his years at Iowa. I think the problem has even gotten more noticeable over time. It is worth noting, you know, McCaffrey's the second winningest coach in Iowa history. And I didn't know that until I was doing some research for the show today. That says a lot about how hard it is to build a winning basketball program at Iowa. Probably the most success they've had recently, and this isn't even all that recent, but the Chris Street team back in the 80s um, and a little bit under uh, Steve Alford during his time there. You know, the Luke Recker shot to beat Indiana and having a three seed in the tournament, albeit losing to Northwestern State in the first round. Um, McCaffrey just, you know, he's another coach like Underwood, has a lot riding on the NBA decision deadline. Luca Garza will likely be the preseason national player of the year if he returns to Iowa City. Uh, If he does not return to Iowa City and stays in the draft, I think you're looking at Iowa as a fringe NCAA tournament team. A lot of talented players, no uh, star player, and no clear path to uh, beating a lot of good teams in the Big Ten next year if Garza doesn't come back. If Garza comes back, expectations for McCaffrey are going to be really, really high. You have to expect that if McCaffrey gets Garza for another year, along with some talented players like Joe Wieskamp. Um, You have to put Iowa as an expectation to win the Big Ten and probably get to, at bare minimum, a Sweet 16 Elite Eight. That has to be the expectation with Luka Garza. We will see if McCaffrey can deliver on that. Now, Purdue fans are going to enjoy this next coach. Obviously, it is Indiana's Archie Miller. Uh, I don't really know what to do with this guy. I, when I did some research, I was on IU's website looking at his coach profile. I did this for every coach in the Big Ten, and IU's description and bio page of Archie Miller stood out uh, as far different than the rest of the bios which I read for these Big Ten coaches. And here is what IUathletics.com has to say about Archie Miller. Quote, Regarded as one of the top young coaches in the country, Miller is a tireless recruiter, noted developer of talent, and gifted tactician whose teams are known for their stout defense and efficient offense. End quote. Um, if that's the case, and that's what that's what IU's website says, that comes across as IU really trying to keep selling Archie Miller to their fans because we haven't seen most of this yet. A tireless recruiter. Sure, he has recruited the state of Indiana really well during his time at IU. Also, he had to. That was the biggest complaint about Tom Crean and why he got fired at IU was because he wasn't getting players from the state of Indiana. But at the same time, This noted developer of talent, who has he developed at Indiana? I I just don't see it. I mean, none of his guards have gotten any better. Fennessey's best basketball was his first month at IU. You know, guys like Al Durham and Devontae Green, they didn't get better. Romeo Langford got no better during his season at IU. You know, the jury's still out on guys like Trace Jackson Davis and Joey Brunk, but... 
Man, I mean, this is IU's website just trying to sell their fan base on keeping Miller around because IU fans obviously have really high expectations for that basketball program. Fair, not fair. I'm not going to get into that, but uh, Indiana and Archie Miller are tough to pinpoint here because, yes, you know, Indiana has gotten better under Archie Miller. They would have made the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, the 0-5 mark against Purdue in his first three seasons is a big old black mark on his resume at IU thus far. That is something that IU fans will not accept. Their fourth His fourth year needs to be good with Christian Lander coming in as a five-star early enrollee. His presence looms really large in a backcourt with not a lot of explosive options this season. It's going to be really important for Miller to get in the NCAA tournament this year and to keep his name off the bubble down in Bloomington. Uh, it is worth pointing out, obviously, Miller was very good at Dayton in 2014. They got to the Elite Eight, really nice run there. A couple of Atlantic 10 titles uh, kind of capped off towards the end of his time at Dayton. A really successful uh, group of years there. But, you know, at IU, he still has a lot to prove and if he doesn't do it soon, the Hoosier Nation down in southern Indiana is really going to be coming after him hard, wanting some changes to be made. We go from a program with a lot of history and really high expectations to a program with no history and no expectations. That is the Penn State Nittany Lions and Coach Pat Chambers. Nine seasons at Penn State. It hasn't been perfect, but man, it could have been worse. Um, he's not made a tournament yet. I feel for Pat Chambers probably as much as anyone up there with Steve Peichel that the NCAA tournament was canceled this year because Penn State would have been in it. They would have been a four, five, maybe a six seed. They would have been up there, had a good chance to get to the second round and make a chance to get to the second weekend. Um, the development of Lamar Stevens under Pat Chambers was really, really fantastic. Uh, good, good attribute to Chambers that he was able to make Stevens an all Big Ten level player. Uh, he had a good run in 2018 where that team won the NIT title. That was a good team. The problem was it was an awful, awful year for the Big Ten. And they weren't able to get into the tournament, went to the NIT, made a run to Madison Square Garden, won the thing. And then Tony Carr left for the NBA in a decision that still doesn't really make much sense to me. But this is a tough program to win at. Penn State's not a basketball school. It never will be a basketball school. The Bryce Jordan Center is one of the worst environments in the Big Ten, if not the worst. But you know, you have to respect what he's done. I keep him down in tier three just because it's been nine seasons and this was his first season he would have made an NCAA tournament. I think a little bit more early success would bump him up into that tier two. But also if he can tack on some success here in the upcoming years and get to a tournament or two and have a, some good teams that make the NIT, you know, then we can put Chambers in that tier two. He's been recruiting Philadelphia well. If he can continue to pull kids out of that Philadelphia area that Penn State has really struggled to recruit for ages now, 
that'll put him in a really good spot to move up in the Big Ten coaching rankings and potentially open up Pat Chambers as a name for some bigger jobs. These last two names in Tier 3 are really tough guys to put anywhere, and that'd be Jawan Howard and Fred Hoiberg. Uh, With Howard, it's way too early to tell because he's only even been in college basketball coaching for one year now. Came from the Miami Heat, where he was an assistant, back home to Michigan. Obviously, Howard, a member of the Fab Five back in the early 90s, uh, beloved figure in Ann Arbor and in the Michigan basketball program. You know, his first year got off to an unbelievable start with their success down in the uh, Battle for Atlantis tournament in the Bahamas. Fell back to reality a little bit during conference play. Um, his recruiting was off to a really good start and then fell back a little bit when you lose Isaiah Todd to the NBA G League program. Um, you know, it's just so early to tell with Howard. Obviously, he's going to have a couple years to prove himself. I think he will. I think he's a good coach. He has a great assistant coaching staff led by associate head coach Phil Martelli, who was phenomenal at St. Joe's for the years he was there over in the Big Five in Philadelphia. Um, That's a program where he's not going to struggle to recruit to. Ann Arbor is a college town that recruits itself a little bit. His NBA background is going to be really big. Um, And I think he's going to recruit Chicago really well, being a name who, you know, came out of Chicago, was a really good player in college, and went on to an NBA career that, Uh, really went on for almost two full decades. Uh, Hoiberg, on the other end, is completely different than Howard because Nebraska is such a hard place to win. If you want to talk about no basketball tradition whatsoever, let's go straight to Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, He's in Tier 3 because of the success he had at Iowa State. You know, he came to Nebraska for his first year this year where... All of his returning players left as soon as Tim Miles got fired. And having a conversation about whether Tim Miles should have been fired or not is something that I could talk about for a long time because, you know, that was a bold strategy from a basketball program that has never been all that successful. But regardless, you know, Hoiberg's in now. He has a long, long way to go at Nebraska. Uh, His philosophy, even when he was succeeding at Iowa State, was always to load up on transfers, and I I don't know how well that's going to work in the Big Ten. Then again, I don't know how well anything's going to work at Nebraska while they're playing in the Big Ten. We'll see. Obviously, he's got plenty of time to figure it out. Nebraska's not going to be a program that's going to pull the trigger any too quick on firing a coach, but... You know, he's in tier three because of that Iowa State success. And if he has a couple more tough years in a row, I think he slides down into tier four pretty quickly. The two coaches occupying tier four are, you know, guys who are not that far away from tier three and probably would have been in tier three at one point during their careers. And those guys are Richard Patino at Minnesota and Chris Collins at Northwestern. Uh, I believe Patino will be the next Big Ten coach to be fired. Um, It just seems that he can never get over the hump in Minneapolis. Uh, 
Uh, only two NCAA tournament appearances since he took over the job in 2013. He's had some really talented teams that just haven't done enough. Uh, he has had some tough draws in the NCAA tournament, like his 2019 team getting Michigan State in the second round. But, you know, Patino just hasn't done all that much. I, I think it was a possibility that he would have gotten let go after this year went south really quick, despite having an incredibly talented big man in Daniel Oturu and a really good guard in Marcus Carr. Um, it just I just don't know how much longer he can keep holding on to that job without going to NCAA tournaments regularly. And then Chris Collins, to wrap up our coach listings in the tiers, uh, I think he's the most complicated coach on this list. Collins has spent seven years in Evanston now, and he got Northwestern to an NCAA tournament. It, I think it's easy to look past the fact that they had never done that before Chris Collins took over and got him there. And not only did he get him there, he won him a game. Granted, Vanderbilt kind of handed that game to them late in the final minute, but he got Northwestern to a tournament and got him to Saturday afternoon. That's never been done before. But then again, Collins got almost that entire team back for the 2017-18 year. You know, guys like Bryant McIntosh and Derek Pardon, Vic Law, um, they had everyone back and just did nothing. They were, they were horrible. And the last two years have been awful as well. You know, we're not that far away from people talking about Chris Collins as a potential replacement for Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. Now, I think it's reasonable to ask how long his leash is at Northwestern. And the question that his job security will come down to and the question that defines Northwestern basketball right now, how much does that one NCAA tournament appearance matter? If that answer is a lot, then Chris Collins is going to be in Evanston for another three, four years. If that, question, if that answer is not all that much, then Chris Collins needs to show some steps of, of improvement here in the next few years to keep himself in Evanston. That's all I have for today. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into the show. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast as Boilers and Beyond is available wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Twitter. Give us a follow at Boilers Beyond. Let me know what you thought of this week's episode. Uh, I would love to get some debate about these Big Ten coach tiers because I think there's a lot of spots that could be a little interchangeable. I'd love to know what you have to say, so let me know. We'll be back here next Tuesday for more of the biggest news and high-level analysis of Purdue Athletics. Be sure to tune in then. Until next week, stay safe.